0: Welcome to Transformation Thursdays with Pastor Paul. We're so excited that you could join us. And so get ready with your Bibles, your journals, your pens. And we look forward to digging deep into the word of God. And here comes Pastor Paul. Hi, Church. What a joy and a privilege it is for us to come together through technology and to worship the Lord and to open the pages of Scripture. This is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Indeed, it is a privilege for us to open the pages of scripture. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer for that? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. We thank you that uh, you are speaking to us through the circumstances of life. And today we want to open the scriptures and to understand what is it that you're saying to us, even in this circumstance. Father, it is our heart's desire to know your will and to do your will. So grant us your grace, mighty God. We thank you. And for us this evening, I commit everything in your loving hands. And I ask that you would be glorified in our midst. We thank you in Jesus' precious name and the people of God said, Amen. It is always a joy to be able to open the pages of scripture. You know, one of the things that, uh, that is going on in the world today is many of us, we have been given no other choice but to stay at home and, and be in a situation of self-isolation or lockdown. Now, when, whether it is a circumstance that has caused this, I believe God is a sovereign God and He is giving us a divine opportunity for us to pause, press the pause button and to truly evaluate, evaluate our lives, examine our lives in light of scriptures and to evaluate whether we are living for His glory, for His pleasure. How many of you know that uh, deep down, we all want to know the will of God and we all want to do the will of God. Can I humbly say this? It is not just enough to know the will of God. We need to have a heart to be able to apply the scriptures and to do the will of God. But sometimes it is not just to do the will of God, we also need to delight in the will of God. That's why in the New Testament, the Bible says it is the will of God for us to give thanks in every circumstance, in every situation. Today, I want to take you to a passage of scripture in the Old Testament, and I want us to examine This Old Testament passage, it's a prophetical passage. It is taken from Haggai chapter 1, and we're going to meditate from verse 1 to verse 12. And this book of Haggai, the prophet Haggai speaks to God's people with a poignant message, a message to examine their life, a message to evaluate their priorities and to return back to God. Now, as I was waiting upon the Lord for this day, I truly sense in my heart that the Lord has a word for us from this passage. So I I want you to take your Bible, I want you to get your pens ready and your journal ready, or if you're watching through a device and you want to take notes in your device, get it ready because we're going to turn the pages of scriptures and dig deep together. Because this, the title for tonight is Consider Your Ways. Says the Lord, consider your ways. And the passage of scripture is from Haggai chapter 1 and verses 1 to 12. You know, one of the things about life is this. We all want to know the will of God and do the will of God. As I said earlier, and this is a teaching I share in my church, that there are many aspects to knowing and doing the will of God. One is we want to first desire to know the will of God. A person must have a desire. That's the first thing. He must have a desire to know the will of God. Secondly, he needs to not only desire, but discern the will of God. And when he can discern the will of God, it takes time. It is uh, is to take reflection upon the circumstances of life and do what God is saying in all these things. And thirdly, we need to set our heart to do the will of God. But in the midst of all of that, we need to come to the fourth place where we need to delight in the will of God, because sometimes even when we are doing the will of God, we may not do it with joyful heart. We may be doing the right thing, but with the wrong posture, with a wrong heart condition. So that's why we need to examine. And sometimes when we want to know the will of God, God uses the circumstances to speak to us, And sometimes he uses an internal clock, an internal compass to speak to us. Let me give you two things. Sometimes, how do you discern the will of God? Circumstances. Sometimes, how do you discern the will of God? It's not clear in the circumstance, but you walk with a certain sense of internal compass, a restedness, a knowing on the inside. I want to take you through this passage of scripture today, and I want you to see this, because sometimes... If you're not walking with a clear sense of calling, a clear sense of destiny, a clear sense of compass on the inside where you know the will of God and you want to do the will of God and you delight in the will of God, God may have to sometimes use the circumstances to get our attention. You know, it is like this. My wife always makes the dinner and then after she makes the dinner, she calls upstairs. She would yell from downstairs and say, boys, the dinner is ready but sometimes the boys are slow of hearing and they don't come down in time. So when that happens, see they themselves should know it is dinner time, mom should be preparing, I wanna go set the table, do things on their own. If they do it, that'll be great. That is the compass within. But sometimes we don't have that compass. Sometimes it's not that clear in circumstances. So we need to do something else to get their attention. So my wife bought a bell and she would ring the bell and she would call their names and yell their names and ring the bell at the same time to get their attention. Now I find this parallel to life. Sometimes God wants to speak to us and we could, we want to have, we have a desire to serve God, but we have a desire to serve and do the will of God. But sometimes we don't have that sense of calling, that sense of a clear compass through which we lead our lives we go through a period of compromise living. And during the time, what happens? God has to wake us up. God has to call us out of our complacency, call us out of our apathy and indifference. And God gets our attention by letting the circumstances scream at us. I find that that's what sometimes happens in life. Maybe this is what is going on in the world today. Maybe God is trying to get the attention of his people. And I want to take you through this passage of scriptures. Maybe certainly in this passage of scripture, God was trying to get their attention because they were slow to comprehend what God was actually saying. So, Haggai chapter 1 and verses 1 to 12. I'm going to read from the ESV translation. Now, you can follow along if you have your Bibles with you. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. I love it when the Bible mentions something very particular. Here the prophet takes time to write a passage of scripture in that when he's writing, he mentions the the dates, the date is mentioned, the period in which he received this message and gave this message to God's people is mentioned. Not only that, it is also mentioned to whom he is giving this message. And he lists the governor of the land, Zerubbabel, and he lists the high priest, Yeshua or Joshua, the high priest. And then the word of the Lord comes. Now let's read, continue to read. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these People say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. I want you to pay attention to what the people say, because there's going to be a contrast. Last week, I talked to you about how when you study the Bible, you got to look for contrast. Look at this. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you to yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Because the people say this is not the time, God says, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I want you to pay attention to this because this is one phrase that will be repeated twice. One phrase that will be repeated twice. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills, verse 8, and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. I want you to pay attention to the twist here. You brought, you looked for much, you brought in little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Who blew it away? The Lord. And the Bible says, your house, while you are busy with your house, my house lies in ruins. You find the contrast between God's house and our house. You find the contrast between God's time and our time. And here I want you to pay attention to verse 10. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Wow, it pretty much covers their entire industries, because they are people who depend on rain, and they are people who depend on what the land can produce. They are agricultural people. And the Bible says, God says, I'm bringing a drought upon everything until everything is shut down. Now, listen to this carefully. Then in verse 12, Then the Zerubbabel, the son of Sheontiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehosadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. God bless the reading of His Word. Now, why do I want to study this passage? And before I give you why, I pray that uh, you will also catch how to study a passage like this. See, my heart as a pastor and a a Bible teacher is to help not only people to catch the Word of God, but also to encounter the God of the Word. And I want to give you some tools and handles to dig deep into the Scriptures. Now, this week, we are studying the prophetical book. Now, let me give you an overview. Now, you and I, we understand that there are 39 books in the Old Testament. Out of the 39 books, 17 books are prophetical books. Out of the 17 prophetical books, 12 books are minor prophets. Not only 12 books are minor prophets, but there are five, uh, five books that are major prophets and 12 books that are minor prophets. Now, listen to me carefully. What makes the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet? Not that their message were more important. That's why they are major and these guys' messages were not important. So they are minor. No, no, no. It was not about the content. It is about the duration of their ministry. The major prophets had an extended ministry. They gave a lot of messages from the Lord to God's people. But the minor prophets had a short-term stint as prophets, and they had only a few messages to give to the people of God. And out of the 17 prophetical books, 12 are minor prophets. And out of the 12 minor prophets, three are what you call post-exilic books. What is a post-exilic book? You know, remember in 587 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came and uh, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took the people captive and brought them back to exile in Babylon. Now, after that captivity was over, the people returned back to Jerusalem and they start to rebuild their life in Jerusalem. And so this post-exilic books, there are only three, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. These are the last three prophetic books in the Old Testament. Now, this is very important because Malachi was the last time that God ever spoke through a prophet in the Old Testament. And for 400 years, he never speaks another word. He didn't speak another word until John the Baptist comes out crying in the wilderness. And that's why people were so excited to hear what John had to say. And here, I want you to pay attention to this. This book, the book of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, post-exilic books, it is God speaking to his people who have come back from Babylon, come back from exile, and they are now rebuilding their lives in the promised land. Now, many of uh, these pre-exilic books are quite, uh, what do you call it? It's quite uh, discouraging to read because sometimes God is saying you're going on an exile and there's judgment and punishment comes in. But the post-exilic books are usually a pretty good encouraging word for God's people. Not only that, the post-exilic books, one thing about them is not only the messages are short and they are encouraging, but it also people heard it and they obeyed the Lord as a result of it. So it's wonderful. So I want you to read this Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi together. And some of the books that you would read in the Old Testament, the book of Ezra, Um, and Nehemiah happened during this season too, so you would probably appreciate when you read the historical background in Ezra and dig deep in the prophetical books of Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi. Now Haggai and Zechariah had ministry during the same time, they are pretty much contemporaries and their ministries overlap and there's about a one month period of overlap where they were doing ministry together, they served the Lord together. Now When you are studying a prophetic book, or any book for that matter, I want to give you two lenses for you to use. One, whenever you're studying a book, always study. See the big God in the picture. I want you to see the big God in the picture. What does that mean? Seeing big God picture. That means we got to see how God is revealed in that book. See, the whole book every book the significance of each book is it reveals something about God so see big God picture what is the big God picture so for example in the big God picture in the book of Genesis if you want to grasp the significance of the book the book of Genesis is about a creator God who created people for himself hallelujah he calls a man unto himself Abraham and through him through making a covenant with him he created a a community, a covenant people. So I want you to think about this. God, every book gives you a picture of who God is. The book of Exodus, he's a deliverer God. The book of uh, Numbers, that he is a faithful God in the midst of a faithless generation. The book of Leviticus, that God is a holy God, that we need to approach him in worship him in holiness. The book of Deuteronomy, that he is a god who fulfills his promises he keeps his promises i want you to think about each book conveys something about god we need to grasp the theology of this book that's why seeing big god picture is vital the second lens i would give you is seeing god's big picture what is god doing here what is the what is seeing god's big picture the big picture that god is painting his plans his works and His purpose that he outworks in the lives of his people because this is important. And when I read that, what is so amazing about our God is that he's a covenant keeping God who called for himself a covenant community. That means he called for himself a covenant people and he gave them a covenant promise and he gave them a covenant promise of a covenant destiny. You and I, we have a God who is a covenant keeping God. He calls for himself a covenant people and he gives them a covenant promise and he fulfills a covenant destiny. So if I reduce the entire Bible into one word, it will be covenant. God is a covenant keeping God. What is the work that God is doing in the from Genesis to Revelation? If I reduce it down to one word, it is the word redemption. So when you see these big picture The big picture, what God is working in this big picture and seeing the big God in the picture, it excites us. It gives us a great uh, understanding of scriptures and causes us to not uh, not only be filled with the awe of God, but with that sense of awe, we can come and worship Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. I want to take a moment. I want you to give the Lord a clap offering. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We thank you. We praise you, mighty God. When you study the prophetic books, there are two types of prophetic books that you, you need to pay attention to. Two types of prophetic writings. One, a prophetic book could be foretelling or it could be forthtelling. What is a foretelling? Foretelling is speaking about events that will happen in the future. Now, this is speaking about things that will happen prophetically in the future. That is foretelling. But forthtelling is the, speaking about the will of God in the current circumstance. What is God's will in this situation? So you and I, when we study the scripture, we got to ask, so is it foretelling or is it foretelling? Not only that, when you're studying the scripture, you should also recognize there are multiple fulfillments of that prophecy. Sometimes the Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled within Old Testament. Sometimes the Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled in the New Testament. Sometimes the Old Testament prophecy are yet to be fulfilled. Some prophecies are yet to be fulfilled. Some prophecies that are given in the New Testament are fulfilled during the New Testament time. But some prophecies in the New Testament are yet to be fulfilled. And sometimes the prophecies have multiple fulfillment. Just because it was given in the Old Testament doesn't mean it had already finished. No, no, no. It had one time, and that present moment, God was trying to accomplish something. But then later on in Jesus' life, it also fulfills. And sometimes in the end times or in the last days, it will also have a fulfillment. So when you are studying, observe these things carefully. Is it foretelling or forthtelling? Is it predicting the future or is it speaking about the will of God? concerning our current circumstances praise god now this book that we are reading tonight from the book of haggai it it we i already established that from 587 bc the babylonians came conquered jerusalem destroyed the temple and took the people captive and brought them back to babylon now the bible says the captivity will be for 70 years Now, why would they be there for 70 years? This is something you and I, we need to try and understand. Why did they have a 70-year captivity? Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. Now, this is the verse where the Bible says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Wonderful. Why they had to go away specifically for 70 years? See, our God is a God of pattern, who establishes a pattern and he does things by pattern and he does things by principle. Always remember this. So why 70 years? When I think of 70 years, why it could be is because when you think about the Old Testament history from the time of patriarchs to the time of Moses, uh, by the time of Patriarch to the time of Joseph, that's about two hundred years. The the Book of Genesis, but then after that, from the time of Moses uh, to the time when um, every ev- when the prophets went by the to the time of Judges, it was a four hundred years, and after that, from the time of prophets and kings, it was another four hundred years. I want you to think about this, because when when they are living through this history. God instituted one thing. He said every seventh year will be a year of sabbath and sometimes because they these people were walking in rebellion and disobedience they did not do a sabbath rest. Now sabbath rest was not only for themselves where they seek the Lord and worship the Lord. The sabbath rest was actually for the land but for many many years For decades, literally, for centuries, nearly four centuries, maybe 490 years, if you calculate it biblically, they did not really follow the Lord in obeying him for the Sabbath rest, for the land. Therefore, there's about 70 year period God says, I'm going to take you out of this land. Because that's what he already promised them. If you disobey and rebel and walk in disobedience, the the land will, your enemy will come and take you into captivity. And enough, God raised an enemy and he came in and he destroyed the land, destroyed the temple, took the people of God as captives for 70 years. And in that 70 year period, guess what? The land had its rest. Now, I want to take just pause for a moment because, uh, you know, even today, that are news circulating. If you watch the news today, um, they were talking specifically about uh, India. And in India, the pollution cleared because there is a complete lockdown for 14 to 21 days, I think. And because of a complete lockdown, um, and they are only in their second week, the, the sky is cleared. Where cities have been so polluted the air has been so polluted, the skies are clear and the, and the environment is now quite clean and the birds and the animals are now coming back and freely roaming the city. Now, you can see what happens when a city is removed, when, when and it goes to a complete lockdown. Same thing happened in the children of Israel's life. God took them out of the land that they were supposed to inherit it and 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 and, and, and work for the glory of God. But yet the Lord said he's gonna remove them because they didn't obey. They didn't follow him wholeheartedly, they didn't obey the law that he had set in place. Now, this happened in the year five hundred and eighty-seven BC. After that, the Bible says the um The the kingdom changed from Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, to a kingdom of Persia. Babylon was now captured by king of Persia. Cyrus is now the king. And when Cyrus became king in the year 538 BC, he says to the children of Israel that are in captivity in Babylon, Return back to Jerusalem because when you go back to Jerusalem, I want you to rebuild the temple of God, and that's a charge I have been given by the Lord, and I want you to go rebuild, not only go and rebuild the city uh, and rebuild the temple, but also pray for my welfare. You know, if you read Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1 and verse 2, you will read this: that Cyrus, a king of Persia, would say to the people of God that are living in captivity. Close to that 70-year period, he comes to them and says, God has spoken to me. I want you to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Wow. Can you see the picture? Even governmental authorities are placed by the Lord and he will do his will through their life. Praise God. I want you to see this picture, church, that God will always fulfill his promise. But you and I, we need to take stock. Can I just humbly... Press a pause button there and ask ourselves, uh, consider this. Do you really take Sabbath? Uh, literally? You know what is a Sabbath? A Sabbath is a time when it's not a time for you to catch up on housework. Yes, Pastor, every Sunday after church is over, I catch up on housework and mow the lawn and, and do tuition for my kids and do a haircut and do all the sorts of things. Do you know Sabbath is on a physical Sabbath is for you to truly rest? But a Sabbath in your heart is to truly surrender your life before God and to adore Him and to praise Him and to give your, examine your light in light of the Scriptures and to reaffirm your belief in Him and re-evaluate your life in light of the Scriptures and give it back to God. That is what Sabbath was for. So this is the season for us to truly come back to that place where God has hit a pause button, give you a rest he has given you time and space to sit at home and, and do this. And this is a period for us to truly evaluate. How is our life going? How are we living in light of the scriptures and to truly evaluate our life? Now here the Bible says, when they started to, when they started to come back, when Cyrus said, go back and build the temple, there are about 50,000 Jews that wanted to come back to Jerusalem Now, you got to understand, Babylon is a great city. It's a city that is in the center of a trade route and trade was flourishing. Things were happening. And Jews who had stayed there in exile, they actually were blessed and they were prosperous because the Lord promised them. You know, you and I know this promise. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. I have plans, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but to give you hope and a desired future. In other words, God was giving them prosperity in the land where they had been taken as captives. So they'd really enjoyed the prosperity of the land. But now the call is coming for them to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Guess how many of them put up their hands to go? Only 50,000 out of all the Jews. So some of the Jews stayed back. And I think the, some of the Jews that stayed back, uh, the wise men that came from the East in the, in, when Jesus was born, They are the people who stayed back. They are the people who stayed back in Babylon and continued living there. But some of the guys who had come back, there were significant people that came back. I want you to pay attention to the leadership team that came back. One was Zerubbabel, the governor. The Bible says he's a governor. Zerubbabel was the grandson or he was in the lineage of David, King David. Now, King David was king, but Zerubbabel could never be king. Why? Because he... The king, the Persian ruler was still the king. So the the only role that Zerubbabel could have was that he was the governor. But the Bible mentions him here because for the people of God, he was a key ruler and he had exercised authority and leadership over the land and over the people. Secondly, the Bible mentions there was Joshua and Joshua was the high priest who came And he establishes, he wants to come back with temple worship and wants to establish the temple worship. So here, this is key. Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest. And then we have Ezra and and Ezra as the scribe, you know, the the scribe. He's a priest. And also Haggai and Zechariah also was part of that team because they are the prophets that God uses later on. So I want you to see this picture. There is prophet, there is king and the governor here, and then there is a priest. When all these three people come together, they can actually accomplish a lot of things. I want you to listen to me carefully. Whenever God chooses to accomplish a thing on this earth, he always uses the prophet, the priest, and the kings working together. Who's the king? King is the political leader. The the prophet is the person who hears from God and directs and priest is one who represents man before God and God before men. And these three ministries always work together in biblical history. And when they are doing well, you know, the great things accomplished for the kingdom of God. Now, in the New Testament, you find all these three things resided in Jesus. He is the prophet of God. He is the great high priest, and he is the king, the sovereign king, the ruler of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. That's why what he accomplished for us is eternal. Praise God. So tonight, as we are studying the scriptures, I want you to think about this, that this is how God accomplishes his work. This is the background, that this is the people who came back, and they started to build the temple. I want to just read one scripture from Ezra so that it gives you a context of how this temple was built before we dive into Haggai. Ezra chapter 6 and verse 14 and 15 says, And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, King of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. I love it. The Bible says here that through the prophetical work that Haggai and Zechariah accomplished, the people of God were able to build the building by the decree of God and by the decree of three kings. See, there were times the kingdom, the kings were changed from From Cyrus to Darius and to Artaxerxes and all these three kings, they helped complete the temple of God. And this house was finished on the sixth year of the reign of Darius, the king. Now, what a beautiful picture. All three working together, the prophets, the priest and the the king. Now, I want you to take a moment to think about this. Book of Haggai comes in at this prophetic time. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 to 11, we read about the condition in which they were living. So God speaks to Haggai and he gives him um, four messages. See, if anyone asks you, how do you summarize the book of Haggai? I'm going to give you a simple clue, a simple tip. And if you memorize this, you will always know what book of haggai is about all i have established so far is the background now as we dive into the book of haggai i'm going to give you four the first the four tips how do you memorize what is how do you summarize the book of haggai number 1 the book of haggai is one prophet written by one prophet he has given us two chapters and he gave the messages on three days. In other words, three periods, three dates. He mentions the date in which he gave the word and he gives us four messages from God. Let me repeat that again. It is one prophet who wrote for us two chapters and he gave us three dates and four messages. In other words, it's one prophet. He gave us two chapters. He wrote two chapters and he received the messages on three dates, and he gave us four messages from the Lord. That's the book of Haggai. Now, this book is so beautiful. In the first verse itself, it says, In the time, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, verse 1, I'm reading verse 1, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel and to Joshua the high priest. Zerubbabel and Joshua received the message from Haggai when? On the first day of the month. Do you know? The first day of the month. The Bible is so very precise about the timing. The first day of the month is always the full moon day. You know, many parts of the world, yesterday and today, we have the privilege of having the full moon. This is the full moon day. And every first day of the month is a full moon day. And, that, and they have a feast. So all the farmers will gather together and they will have a feast and they will celebrate that day. And that is the day they also eagerly wait for any message to come from the Lord. It's a time, it's a significant time. So the perfect time. That's why in this passage I see that the timing is mentioned. Why is the timing mentioned? This is what I want you to understand. The people of God returned from Babylon under the rule and reign of Cyrus and Cyrus gave them permission to go back to Jerusalem to build the temple and he gave them resources but when they came into the city of Jerusalem they started to lay the foundation now after they laid the foundation what did they do they encountered some problems and opposition when they had the opposition they stopped the rebuilding, they stopped the rebuilding process. Who were the ones that opposed them? The ones that opposed them are people who live in the land. The, remember that uh, some of the Jews were left behind when, when, uh, when ba- Nebuchadnezzar brought the people of God back to Je- Babylon. Some of them were left behind, some of the old ones, someone who can't, um, who can't walk that far and vulnerable people were left. And the ones that left in that land, they intermarried and they became people who are mixed race. And these people do not want the temple to be rebuilt. They don't want these Jews to come back and establish themselves. So what do they do? They oppose. And because they oppose, the children of God who came back with a mandate to come and rebuild the temple, they took a break from building. How long did they take a break? For nearly 18 years. See, I want you to think about this. What did they do in the 18 years? In the 18 years, they just went about doing their business. They were just busy with their own lives. They were building their own lives and setting themselves up and and all that. That's what the Bible says. That's why the prophet Haggai here goes very precise about the time. He says here that it was exactly the first day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius's rule. And the reason why he goes to that extent is because Time is of essence here. There is a sense of urgency. 18 years has been wasted. So God is now speaking to his people. And as He is speaking, um, look at what the Bible says. They, The message came specifically to the people of God, Joshua and Joshua the high priest, and as well as Zerubbabel the governor. Now, what was the message? I want you to take about, take three things three things about this passage. I want to give you three things. So write these three key truths that you will learn from chapter 1 verses 1 to 11. What are the three truths? Number one, what was happening to them is there was a root of deception. I want you to think about this. The root was deception. Write this down. The root of deception. Look at this in verse 2 and verse 3. The Bible says, thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? I want you to look at the powerful contrast here. The contrast is this. The people say in verse 2. And what does the Lord say in verse 3? People say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. When they encountered the problem, they stopped. The foundation was laid, but they didn't complete the building. They just left it as it is, and they took an 18-year break. And they resolved to say within themselves, maybe we have the resources, we have what it takes, but maybe it is not the timing yet. So what we do, we go back to building our own lives. So this, the people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And then the prophet comes with a word. Is it a time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? I want you to take a step back and think about this. See, many times when you see a behavior, when you see the conduct of a person, you got to ask yourself this question, what does this conduct reveal about this person? See, the conduct usually helps you understand the character of that person. But sometimes, even good people act out of character in certain circumstances. So that's why conduct alone cannot be the judge. So when you look at a conduct, you look at a person's conduct, you can evaluate the character. But sometimes the character, person with good character can behave out of conduct, in a, in a, out of character in a certain place. So one of the core cool things I tell people is to discern this. What is it? Not only judge people based on the conduct, but discern the character. But when you discern the character, look beneath it and ask yourself this fundamental question. What is the condition of their heart? What is causing them to actually behave this way? So you and I, we need to examine the condition of the heart. So here, that is exactly what God was saying. See, people's behavior is they encountered an opposition. They took a break and that break became an 18 long year break. And they went back to building their own life. And the Bible says they kept saying this to themselves. What did they say to themselves? It is not the time for us to build the house of the Lord it is not for us it is not the time yet i want to say something here and i want you to pay attention to reality is a social construct they say that what is reality reality is actually constructed socially whatever we keep saying or what we keep hearing over and over and over again will ultimately become a reality see this world you and I, we need to acknowledge that there is something that the world does. It keeps saying certain things over and over and over again through the mass media, through the educational system, through all the entertainment world. It keeps saying that there is no God. Live your life. It's like up to you, your standards. You can do whatever you want. There is no one to keep you accountable. You like it. You desire it. You go have it. It feels good. You go do it. They keep saying it through the mass media. They keep saying through the entertainment channels. They keep saying through the educational institutions. And what they keep saying will ultimately become a reality. Why? Because people will accept it as a social norm. Even now, in 2013, someone said pandemic will one day come, and that will be the that will be the one. Of, of, it is not a it is it is not a terrorist attack that will that will cripple the economy. But a virus, a pandemic can cripple the economy. It was said. They made a movie out of it. In 2010, they made a movie. They made in 2013, someone came out and said it in a TED talk. And so they keep saying over and over again until the the reality is, oh, what they all said now is happening and we accept it. Look, listen to me carefully. The reality is a social construct. In other words, we got to examine what we are hearing and what we keep saying to ourselves because what we keep saying is what we will accept as reality. And here the people of God accepted the reality that maybe because we encountered opposition, here we are trying to build the house of God and we encountered opposition. Therefore, we take a break and because we can take a break, for 18 years they took a break and they did not build. But they kept believing in a lie. I want you to listen to me carefully. The root problem in the book of Haggai that the prophet is trying to address, is a prof- it's not just that they were prioritizing building their own house more than the house of God. That was not just the issue. It was not just because you spend more money, your time, your resources in building your own house and not the house of God. That was not the issue. There was an issue deep down. The issue is that their heart was deceived. Their heart was deceived. In other words, it was not a matter of misplaced priorities that Haggai is trying to address, but he is actually addressing a moral deception that they carry in their heart. So this is a problem of the heart, because they uh, they came to accept this as a new normal and a reality. They said. God wants us to build the house, but there was opposition. We took a break. We just go back to business as usual. They went to busy themselves. One of the core things that you and I, we need to understand is this. This world lives a life that displeases God. Why? Why do people live immoral lives? Why do people live a life where they know it is perverted living according to the scriptures? Why do they live an immoral life? Why do they do things that grieve the heart of God? I tell you why. Because within themselves, they have developed a moral construct, a social construct that says there is no God, there are no absolutes. Whatever feels good, you can do because man is the measure of all things and truth is relative, it's subjective. What is true for you is true for you. You just go do as long as you don't hurt another being, you can do whatever you want. What is it that at the root of it all is deception? I want you to pay attention to me, people of God. You and I, we need to recognize this. So when someone who is outside uh, who, uh, outside the people of God, a person who lives an immoral life, we know that they are deceived at heart and they continue to go down that path. But how many times do we examine our own lives to check whether we are deceived? Do you know that the Bible says in the last days, what will be the the state of the church? What will be the state of many? Many will be deceived. The Bible says. In other words, there will be a deception that will come and plague the world. Not only a deception; it will also it, even the people of God will be dis- uh, d- deluded. They will just be caught up in that web of deception. I want you to listen to me carefully. You and I we need to examine this. And here this this deception came out of a faulty belief system and a deceived mind. That's why the Bible says God spoke to them one phrase twice in this passage. He says, give attention, consider. That's what it means. Pay attention to your ways. Consider, give thought to your ways. Why? Because you and I, we need to live a life that is examined in light of the scriptures. We need to evaluate our life and our lives. So the first thing that I learned from this passage, the key truth is the root of it was deception. The root of it in the heart was deception. The root was deception. Let me give you the second truth. The result was dissatisfaction. See, the Bible says in verse 5 and verse 6, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into bag with holes. What does this mean? It means that, you know, (laughs) I want you to think about this. Whenever you're studying the scriptures, always look for repeated phrases. Not only repeated phrases, but also recurring theme. And the recurring theme here and also look for related, related events. In other words, what are connected stuff. So three things I just gave you. One is a repeated words, repeated phrases, pay attention to that. Secondly, not only repeated phrases, but look for recurring themes, themes that recur, occur again and again. Thirdly, it is things that are related, it, that are connected, cause and effect. Here the Bible says, consider your ways, and that is something that is repeated, so we got to pay attention to it. In verse 6 it says, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. But he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. What is he saying? He's saying that their lives are dissatisfied. Their lives are filled with disappointment, and the sad part here is that they have—they don't even know that they are actually living a dissatisfied lives. They don't even know. They are so immune to it. You know, this is what happens when you when you are so busy in life. You go through a daily routine. You know, on Sundays we're studying the Book of Ecclesiastes. We, last week we studied um, it's the first chapter. And after Easter, the following week, we will take it up from chapter 1, the rest of the chapter 1 and on. But I want you to think about this. That whole book, the whole thesis is that life goes round and round. In other words, the people are busy. And everything that they are busy with, after a while, becomes worthless. In other words, when they are pursuing worthlessness, they will end up becoming worthless. But when they are pursuing it, they don't know that they are pursuing worthless things. When they are running after things, they don't know that these things don't truly satisfy. And the problem is, when we are so busy, we don't even know that we are living such dissatisfied, fragmented lives, fractured lives. And that is why we don't actually do anything to correct it. And here the Bible says, God is speaking to them and says, examine your life consider, pay attention to your life. Do you know that you're living a life that is so, uh, you're looking for much. Even in verse nine, look at verse nine. It says, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. I like that phrase. You look for much. In other words, you, you put a lot of effort and you thought that this effort will produce something, but it produced little. It is like saying, you drove two hours to eat at a favorite restaurant of yours. You drove two hours. And then when you got there, there is a sign that says close today. How would you feel? (laughs) You know, it's like you ordered a pair of jeans from the internet and then when it arrived, it was the wrong color. You know how the frustration is? You you get what I'm saying. You you know, you you jump into the uh, airplane seat and you're so excited and you're saying, okay, I got the next eight hours and in that eight hours, I might watch documentaries or catch up on some movies and do these things and then, You end up looking at the entertainment unit and it doesn't work. And you got the seat where the entertainment unit doesn't work. (laughs) That kind of frustration. But here, it is a lot more than that. It's an unmet expectation. It is a lack of fulfillment and it causes deep frustration. And the Bible says they are living such lives. Look at verse 9 to verse 11. Look at what it says. You look for much and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Wow. When I read this scripture, You know, when you think about the scripture, when you read this passage, you look at their life, the root issue was deception. And the result of the deception was they were living dissatisfied lives, dissatisfaction. And in that dissatisfaction, the Bible says, who caused it? Who is behind all that? And this is the twist. You know, whenever you're reading a narrative passage, I always say f- to you that uh, put on the lens of a... Uh, watch the tone in which things are being said. And not only look for the narrative tone, but also look for the narrative tension that it builds up. Not only look for the narrative tension when you're reading this Bible, but look for the twist. And here's a beautiful twist. The twist is... Look at that. It says... They're wondering, yes, it's right. It's like as though I'm earning and putting everything into a bag filled with holes. Nothing is satisfying. I have so much, but I reap little. Everything is ending up in disappointment. Why? And the Bible says here, it was because the Lord was behind it and he blew away the increase. He called for a drought. Why did the Lord do that? Because he says, my house lies in ruins whereas you are busying yourself with your own life. Now, I want to take a moment and ask ourselves this. Do we ever examine our own life? You know, sometimes we think that the um, external blessings, we, 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 we sometimes think it's because we are so good, that's why we are so blessed. In the case of Haggai, in the chapter one, these people experienced paneled houses. Their houses were well built. The Bible says in verse 2, they are they living in wood paneled houses. You know, the wood paneled houses means that they would have the means to buy it from Lebanon, uh, from another country. The wood is scarce in Israel. They had to bring it, import it. That means they are living in luxurious homes. They were building their life. But within the Within their homes, they were living empty lives. That's what I want you to capture. See, sometimes we say, wow, I'm blessed of the Lord. He has given me this. But can I humbly say this? Just because you're living in a wood-paneled house doesn't necessarily mean you're living the, the, the abundant life in Christ. I want you to pay attention to this because the blessing of the Lord is not these things. See, many times we equate the physical material blessing as the blessing of the Lord. Can I humbly say this? Even if you have all these things, it doesn't equate that your life is right with God. Sometimes we have this myth that because I'm so materially prosperous, I must be right with God. God's favor must be upon me. Can I humbly say this? Not necessarily. That's why don't be fooled by the external appearance. The Bible says here, They were living in wood paneled houses, but yet their lives were empty and dissatisfied and they were disappointed and frustrated. Why? Because they had neglected God. I want you to examine your own heart and your own life. See, God has graciously given us an opportunity to take stock of our lives in this season. And God is calling us as a church. God is calling his people all over the world. That if everything that you depended upon in this world is stripped away from you, will you still remain in the center of the will of God and do His pleasure and do His will? See, we we rely on so much. Church, today we have the technology to even communicate like this. What if one day even the Wi-Fi doesn't work or there is no electricity in anyone's home? Will we still Hunger for the things of God. Will we still worship God? Will we still hunger after the deep things of God? Examine yourself. This is the season for us to take stock of our lives. Here the people of God were going about their business and they didn't examine because at the root of it was deception. And because they had been so deceived, they really could not see the dissatisfied life that they were living. And the reason why they were dissatisfied is because the Bible says, Their heart was deceived. But now I want to give you the remedy. What is the remedy here? The remedy the Bible says here is in verse uh, 7 and verse 8. The remedy was to do the will of God. That's the third truth I learned from this. The first truth is the root was deception. The root of the matter. the, The root of the issue is what? Deception. The root was deception. The second one is the result was dissatisfied lives and thirdly now the remedy was to do the will of god to do god's will here verse 7 says consider your ways thus says the lord of hosts consider your ways go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that i may take pleasure in it and that i may be glorified says the lord in other words the people were saying The time has not yet come for us to build the house of God. But what did God say? God was saying, this is the time. I want you to go to the mountain, collect the wood and bring it down and build my house. Wow. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe your own mind? Are you going to believe the mind of God? Are you going to believe what you are saying or you're going to believe what God is saying? Who would you believe? The key issue was whether they would trust in God enough to be able to obey Him straight away. The remedy to come out of deception is to break free from that bondage of falsehood and to come into the truth. The truth is, this is the time. Now is the time. Not tomorrow, not a year later. Today is the day of salvation. Today I give my life back to Him to do His will. And not only that, today is the day I want to get right back with God. So one of the core questions I want to ask you is, what is the remedy here? The remedy here that God says is, go and bring the wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. I may take pleasure that I may be glorified. Do you know your life and my life, we are called to live for the audience of one. We are called to live for the approval of the Lord. We are called to live in a manner that gives God the pleasure, the greatest pleasure, and it gives Him the greatest honor. Do you know, church, that your life and my life, He paid the price for it so that we can give Him pleasure? But I want to ask you this question. Do you have some false beliefs that are holding you in bondage or holding you in deception in this time? Do you really take time to evaluate your own life and examine your priorities and examine your life in light of the scriptures? Maybe this is the season God is inviting you to do it. Are you holding on to false beliefs, wrong values and things that are very deceptive? Maybe you pretend to do certain things, but you're living a double life. God is calling you back in this season to commit yourself completely to him. That is what I believe this season is about. This season is about that for us to come back to God and to say, Lord, here is my life. I want to give you my life. So as I was reading through this passage of scripture, the verse that actually gripped my heart was what God was saying in verse 7 and verse 8. He said, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and I may be glorified, says the Lord. See, the Lord is challenging us to make the priority, to make the will of God a priority, to live for God in this season, to make, to make the house of God a priority, to make the heart of God a priority, to live for the Lord a priority. Now, one of the beautiful things about this is when you think about it, today in the world, everything is locked down and they even touch the worship centers all over the world. Places of worship are not open for worship. They have shut it down. They've asked people to stay at homes. Now imagine this you and I are committed as people of God to build the house of God but in this season when we can't do right when we can't how many of us really are still working towards building the house of god let me say let me say it in a different way do you know it takes so many volunteers to do services on sundays every week all over the world some of my pastor friends who are mega church pastors They sometimes say it takes about 600 volunteers to make a service happen. It takes about 800 volunteers to make a service happen. Yeah, sometimes it is a lot of work to make certain things happen. Now, think about this. In this time of lockdown, everyone has gone back to um, not being able to serve in a physical building. I want to ask you this question. If you were a worshipper on a worship team, that means you stood in the platform, you sang on Sundays on a roster, you come up and you sing songs. Now, every week when the Sunday does come and a service does happen on a live stream or there is a service that's happening, are you still that same exuberant, passionate worshipper unto the Lord in your own house? Ask yourself this question. Do you know? Otherwise, if you only do it in the platform and not do it in your home, you're going to examine your heart. Are you a performer? Are you a worshiper? I want to ask you this fundamental question. This will bring up all the fault lines in our own heart. When there is a platform, when there is a lights, camera, action, we will do what it takes to build the house. But do we do it when all that is stripped away, Do we still have a heart where we are doing it for the audience of one, for the glory of God and to give God pleasure? Think about that. Because I believe that is what this passage is about. This passage in Haggai chapter 1 and verses 1 to 11 and especially verse 7 and verse 8 is not about just going to the mountain, bring some wood and build the house of God. This passage is actually about the God of the house of God. I want you to recognize it is your relationship with the God of the house of God that truly matters, not just building the house of God. See, you may be a person who says, I'm the preacher on Sunday, but you don't preach every week. How are you? Are you reading the scriptures passionately every single day or do you only read when you have to preach something? Are you a worshipper who will only worship and lead worship songs only when when it's given as a platform? Or are you a worshipper who picks up his guitar or picks up his keyboard and starts playing and worshipping God even in this lockdown every single day? Ask yourself that question. What am I doing? Am I just doing the the external activities? God in His supernatural sovereign uh, grace for some reason allowed it that even the most important week in in the life of Christianity, the most important week where we celebrate the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Easter weekend, we can't even gather together in a church and worship God. It is all locked down and shut down and only a few people can go and serve in any church to serve the wider body. But my humble question to you is, was it all just activities on the outside for you or was it something that you did with all your heart? When the activities stop, does your heart truly long for him? Does your heart truly seek after him? Does your heart truly rejoice in him and worship him and play and worship and sing and and start sharing the gospel with people? What are you doing in this season? See, church, these things happen for us to examine, whether we are about the house of God or whether we are about the, ha- the God of the house of God. As I bring this message to a close, I want to just examine just one reflection point with you. I was thinking through this and, uh, and my, my, my heart was drawn to Jacob. The Bible says Jacob, the father named him Jacob because he was a deceiver. But one day that deceiver came back to God and gave his life completely back to God. When did that happen? It happened near a brook where he had an encounter with God and he wrestled with the Lord for the blessing of the Lord. And on that day, the Lord changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel means prince with God. He is now a prince. He has a covenant promise with God. I want you to think about this. This is a man when once upon a time when he ran away from his house, he was a Jacob running away. He was fleeing from God. He was fleeing from his parents, from all the things that he had been doing as a a child. Now he's running away. Jacob is running away. And in that time when he ran away, he was tired, he took a stone and he lied down and rested. And the Bible says he had an open encounter, he had a vision from the Lord there was a there, there was a open heaven about him and he said, I don't I didn't I didn't realize that I'm I'm in this place where there is an open heaven. In other words, there's a place where there is a transaction between earth and heaven that's taking place. Angels are climbing up and climbing down. So he says, this place is called Bethel. You know, firstly, it was a place called Laz. He changed the name from Luz to Bethel. He called it Bethel. In, in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 19, he says this name is Bethel. What does Bethel mean? It's two words, Bethel. Beth means house and El means God. It's the house of God. And when he called it the house of God, he ran away. And then years later, after he had lived for nearly two decades in his uh, father-in-law's house, he came back as a man who had been married and a married man with lots of lots of wealth because the Lord had blessed him. And then he came to a point where he wrestled with God in that in that moment. The Bible says the Lord touched his hip socket and he became a man who was limping for the rest of his life. It's a picture of a broken man. Do you know what broken means? Broken means this, write these things down. Brokenness is stripping of self-reliance, shattering of self-will and a softening of heart to say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to do your will. Let me repeat that again. What is brokenness? Brokenness is the stripping of self-reliance. It's the shattering of self-will and it's the softening of heart to say, yes, Lord, I want to do your will. And Jacob comes to that place where he gives his life back to God. And he became Israel, the prince with God. And when he went back, he came to the same place called Bethel after that incident. And when he came to Bethel, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 5 and verse 6 and verse 7, And Jacob came to Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan and he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El-Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. He built an altar in the same place, and this time he renamed the place El-Bethel. Bethel Bethel means Beth-El, house of God. El-Bethel is house of God, but God of the house of God. El Bethel, God of the house of God. He went from a place to a person. He went from the house of God to the God of the house. It is the same thing I'm talking to you about from Haggai chapter 1. You and I, we are limited in what we can do to keep building the house of God physically. But can I humbly say this? It was never about the house of God. It has always been about the God of the house of God. So I want to ask you this question, if all the activity stops, if all the external, um, if, if every freedom that we enjoy is taken away from us and we cannot meet, we cannot do what we need to be doing. Would you still have that fervency to live for the God of the house of God? Would you still worship him? Would you still seek him? Would you still seek his face and would you live after him? Can I humbly say this church? This, these are the last days. And in the last days, the Bible says the love of many will grow cold. And in the last days, the many will become people who are lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. They will have a form of godliness. In other words, they will be involved in activities even in church. They could be a a person who preaches from the pulpit. They could be a person who leads from the front on on stage with with a worship leader. They could be anyone, everyone. It could be an elder of a church. It could be a, a, a leader, a lay leader, or it could be a life group leader. It could be anyone doing a mere activity for the Lord. But what God is concerned about is not you doing the activities. Even if the activities all stop, do you have that relationship with the God of the house of God? That is the key question to examine. So what is God saying in this situation? Can I humbly say this? God is asking us to evaluate our relationship with him. He is calling us back prophetically, coming back to him because these are the last days. Many will fall away from faith. Many who did, who did not really root themselves in the scriptures, who did not give themselves completely to God, they will be swayed by the world. They will run after temporal things. They will run after things that satisfy them temporally. But in the long run, they will lose out. They will live a disillusioned life, a life of deception, a life of dissatisfaction, a life of disappointment. But you and I have people of God. We need to evaluate our lives. We need to examine and come back to God and to say, God, I give you my life. Even if all the activities stop, my heart still beats for you, longs for you, yearns for you. I want to truly worship you, seek you, seek your face, seek you through the word and seek you mighty God with all my heart. This is the moment to rearrange our priorities. So can I give you in application a couple of things? Would you take time in this long weekend, this Easter long weekend? We have three opportunities to hear God. Tonight you're hearing the word of God. Tomorrow you will worship together with your church in, in, in your live stream. As well as on Sunday we will celebrate the Easter Sunday. But can I humbly say this? In this season would you turn to God and would you Carefully evaluate your life. The Lord is calling us to consider our ways. Consider our life. By the grace of God, we have been given an opportunity to stay at home and we have more time to be able to reflect upon things and to truly have time to worship and to ask God. So can I encourage you in this long weekend, don't waste your life Evaluate your life. Examine it. And I give you five things to think about. One, recognize the state of your own soul. This season, recognize the state of your own soul. Not only recognize, secondly, return. Repent and return to God. What do I mean by repent? Do you know repentance involves three aspects? Repentance in our attitude, repentance in our action and repentance also in our affection. We need to repent in all these three areas. There are attitudes that are not biblical in our lives. There are affections that are fatal attractions of the heart that is not of the Lord, that doesn't please Him, that doesn't glorify Him. We need to repent. Fatal attractions of the heart, the distractions of the Lord, the unworthy loves, we got to repent of all these things. So recognize the true state of your soul. Come and repent and return back to God. And in repentance, repent of the attitudes, the wrong attitudes, the wrong affections, and the wrong actions. Repent. Thirdly, you got to exercise remove and replace. That's the third and the fourth. Remove and replace. What do I mean by remove and replace? You cannot remove and not replace with godly things. Remove the idols from your heart. Remove the things that are distracting you, that are corrupting you, that are deceiving you. Remove those things. Identify those idols of your heart and remove them one by one and then replace them with godly things. In other words, things that will help you to grow in your walk with God, to renew your life again back to God. So first is recognize the state of your soul. Secondly, it is to repent and return to Him fully. Number three is to remove those idols from your heart and replace them with spiritual disciplines and spiritual things that will help you grow. Number five, renew your life back to God. Renew your commitment. Renew your dedication. Renew your surrender. Can I humbly say this, church? Do this in this weekend. And I invite you... Do not only study the scriptures together with me, but also to respond to God together with me. Come, this evening, let's go before the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that when the pages of scripture is opened, we recognize that the Lord demands a response from us. And even this evening, we want to respond back to you, Lord. Father God, many times we have deceived ourselves by saying there is time for it. This is not the time. There will be time. There will be other times to do the will of God. There will be other times to serve God. But how foolish we have been. We repent for all the wasted years, Lord. We repent for all the wasted time. We recognize that the time is near for the coming of the Lord. We recognize that the end of of the days is near. Father, we come before you with repentance and we ask that you give us grace to recognize the deception that sometimes plagues us. To come out of that, help us to come out of that decisively tonight. Lord, many times we fool ourselves because we we have our well-paneled houses and we live in such luxury that we sometimes don't truly take stock of the dissatisfied lives, the frustrated life that we live in. Lord, today I pray that you will let the scales fall from our eyes that we are able to recognize the true state of our soul, the true emptiness that we carry in our lives and to return back to you, mighty God. Lord, I pray in this season that you give us grace to truly take stock of our lives so that we can take charge of our lives, so that we can take care of our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word this evening. Your word has clearly stated, consider your ways. Help us to examine our life. Help us to evaluate our priorities. Help us us to understand how we are truly living before you. And mighty God, I pray for each brother and each sister that is listening to me. No matter what they're going through tonight, I pray, Father, that they will know that there is a God in heaven who loves them. There's a God in heaven who allows certain things in our lives not to destroy us, but to bring us to a listening point. And in that listening point, He expects us and He wants us to respond well. And when we respond well, He's a God who who has mercy and compassion and He will move on our behalf and He will accomplish the purposes for which He has sent what He has sent. So, Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus that even now that we come to You, And we ask for your mercy your grace lord it is not just about the house of god but it's about the god of the house it is about you being glorified it is about you getting all the pleasure so father in the name of jesus i pray for every single person including myself that we will truly live for the glory of god that we will truly live for god's pleasure that we will truly live for the audience of one and we will truly live for the approval of God rather than the applause of men. So, Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity that you gave us to open the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' precious name and the people of God said, amen and amen. Church, I want to take, you, take a moment to thank you for joining me in this broadcast. I pray that you continue to read the book of Haggai. It's only two chapters, only four messages. Remember this one prophet, two chapters, three dates and four messages. The first message is what we looked at in detail. Now, if you want further information on the rest of the chapters, rest of the messages, I have already done a YouTube series. Uh, There is a series available on our YouTube channel. On the book of Haggai. It's five messages and I want you to take a look at it so that you would be enriched in your own life. I find that this book is significant for this season. you know why? Because the people of God was God was calling his people to come back to building his kingdom, his purposes, return back to him completely. And of course when they do that, the Lord promised them, I will bless you and not only that, Towards the end of chapter 2, the fourth message, you read about Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is a man who was the governor. And he was the governor, not because he couldn't be king. He was from the lineage of David. And that, through his lineage of David, through the lineage of Zerubbabel, the prophecy that was given to Zerubbabel, applies to us because it was apl- applicable to Jesus. So read it. It is exciting to see how God, what God is doing. And the fourth message actually says, God says, I will shake the nations. I will shake the world. And everything that they trusted upon will collapse. I want you to read. I want to whet your appetite to read. And if you need some guidance, there's a YouTube channel where you can go and get some more messages on book of Haggai. Now, if you want to connect with us, there is connect.idmc.com.au where you can go and stay in touch with our our ministry. And uh, there will be some team who can follow up with you. And if you're taking next steps towards Christ, that's a good place to go, connect.idmc.com.au. God bless you. Thank you for joining me tonight. Tomorrow we have a broadcast uh, live service of Good Friday service. And this weekend on Sunday, Also, we have a broadcast, so pay attention to that. Good Friday service, 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time and Easter Sunday also, 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. God bless you. Thank you for joining us and I look forward to hearing from you. God bless you. If this message had been helpful to you, do write to us. God bless you. Thank you.